And we're actually going to go into the 22nd chapter uh, pretty far, 21 verses there, from Acts 21, 37 to Acts 22, 21. Let's all stand together. And we're going to read that entire passage. It'll just take a couple of minutes because I'm a speed reader. No, I will not speed read through this. Uh, Acts 21, verse 37. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brethren and fathers, Hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the city, in this city, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened. As I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, Suddenly, a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one, and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive 
your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyred Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And Father, we pray that as we look at this passage, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would lead us into your truth by your Holy Spirit, pour him out upon us. Might he be our teacher? Might he bring glory to you, Lord Jesus? Might he give us understanding and an understanding of the way that you would use these words of yours, your truth, in our lives today. Give us the wisdom how to apply it to our lives. Lord God, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and people around us would be blessed. And so, Lord, we give this time to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, as we got up to this point, in fact, what I'd like to do is read verses 34 to 36 in chapter 21, just uh, basically to serve as a reminder and an introduction to this passage. Those verses read this way. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another, But when he could not ascertain, speaking, of course, of the commander, when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him, Paul, to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him. Of course, the uh, multitudes there, the, well, the, the, the Jewish, the Jewish men in particular, being angered over what they saw as Paul uh, um, basically violating the law and, of course, defiling the temple of God. And so as they were basically attempting to um, execute Paul, beating him, the commander and the soldiers arrived and rescued him from that. And being beaten and, and, and bloodied and bruised, his clothes had to be a mess. I mean, he had to have dirt all over his body, dirt already seep, uh, seeping into the, 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 the wounds that he had. And as he was being carried up those stairs away from this angry mob, getting toward the barracks, Then Paul spoke to the commander, and he spoke these words. He said, may I speak to you? And he said those words in the Greek language, surprisingly, to the commander. Uh, Greek was not known to the common person. It was uh, a, a language that those who were educated would speak. And it surprised the commander to hear someone who was hated so much and being beaten on like that to have a person of education, someone who would speak the Greek language as he understood. And so it it just threw him off. He was making an assumption, as we see 
in this passage in regard to the kind of guy he, he was and specifically who he believed him to be. And so as we, we, we see this, the uh, um, commander says, aren't you that Egyptian guy? A little bit of a paraphrase here. Who a few years ago led these 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul said, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. You know, not an insignificant city, as you know. And as he responds that way, he asks for permission to speak to the people, and the, peop- and, and the uh, commander gives him that permission and begins to speak to them, as we see in verse 40, in the he- Hebrew language. Now, in regard to what this uh, commander was thinking, um, Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian of the first century, second century, I should say, uh, um, wrote of this uh, e- event, this Egyptian that this commander speaks of. And F.F. Bruce has a comment on what Josephus said. He says, some three years previously to this, an Egyptian adventurer appeared in Jerusalem claiming to be a prophet and a large band of followers out to the Mount of Olives. There, he told them to wait until, at his word of the command, the walls of the city would fall flat. I didn't realize I had relatives in Jerusalem at that time. (laughs) The walls of the city would fall. Anyway, if you're just visiting with with us today, that's my last name, so name's Walls. Anyway, um, I thought all all of my uh, relatives were in England at that time. Okay, there he told them to wait until the walls would fall flat. Then they would march in, overthrow the Roman garrison, take possession of the place, But Felix, the procurator of Judea, sent a body of troops against them. They killed several, took others prisoner. The Egyptian himself discreetly disappeared. Those whom he had duped would cherish uh, um, no friendly feelings toward him as they began to understand that they had been uh, duped by him, deceived by him. Now thought the tribune, the, the commander, the imposter had reappeared and the people were venting their rage on him. That's what he assumed. Then he speaks Greek to him, may he speak to the people. And so he says, okay, I'll I'll let you speak. And we see that Paul, not only knowing Greek, but begins to speak to this Jewish mob uh, in their own Hebrew language. Now, some of the translations, I think of the New American Standard, uh, especially says that it's a Hebrew dialect. And so this would mean it is a dialect spoken by the Hebrew people at that time, which would have been Aramaic. And so as he spoke in Aramaic, it caught the people's attention. He wanted to relate to them. He wanted, of course, to speak with their understanding, wanted to tell them his story, defend himself, as he said, let me give my defense to you. And that's exactly what he wanted to do. And in giving his defense, what we see here, basically what he does is he gives his testimony. He gives his testimony. He speaks a little bit about what he had been doing, who he was when he met Jesus Christ. 
but then spoke in greater detail and gave more time, more emphasis to the Lord himself and what happened to him, what the Lord had done in his life. And I think what we can do, we can learn something uh, about testimony, about giving our testimony to others. One thing, the importance of giving our testimony to others. As he gives his defense, he saw his testimony as a defense for his actions. We might have an opportunity to share with others. Well, if they may comment about what's going on in our lives, the amount of time we spend in church like we never used to. Now, if you're you're recently saved, that might be something that's going on. You know, I've been saved for 50 years now, so that doesn't happen anymore to me. But to some of you, perhaps. But we have an opportunity to share, you know, the changes that have been made in our lives, our habits that are changing, not doing the things that we used to do, being different than we used to be, and so forth. Tell them why. It's because of Jesus. This is what he's done for me. Yeah, you knew me before. That's what I was like, but I'm different now, and this is why. Our testimony. Our testimony. And that's basically what Paul, what Paul was doing with these Jewish men. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, we see the apostle Peter writing these words, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. But give a defense for the hope that lies within you. The power of God in our lives, the hope that he brings to our lives as we have our views cast on heaven. You know, as we go through, through this life, things happen in our lives. I mean, Paul was in a situation that he, he was, he, this was not his hope. His hope was in heaven. But this happened to him here because of the reality of spiritual warfare in our lives. The reality that there are those who are against Christ. There were Jews against Christ, against this new movement, this this sect that they were calling the way, following after this Jesus of, of, of Nazareth as they claimed that he was Messiah. They didn't buy into that. And, and so they, they wanted to get rid of him, and that's exactly what Paul had been doing. And so he relates to them in that a, as he begins his defense. But we see him speaking about what Christ has done with him. But note how he begins. Often we'll go to 1 Peter 3.15 and say, always be ready. Always be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. But we, we won't quote the preceding phrase, which is, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. I must, we must first 
set God apart in our hearts. Put him on that throne in our hearts. Set him apart from ourselves. Set him apart from all other things. Cause him to be the one who's on the throne. Treat him as he's on the throne. Listen to him as he's on the throne. Worship and bow down to him as he's on the throne. Treat him as God. Psalm 46.10 tells us to be still and know that I'm God. In a very real sense, the, the idea there is let God be God. Don't get all stressed out. Stop trying to do things before I direct you. Be still. Just worship me. Let me be God. I'll tell you what to do. At that point, you can act. But now, let me be God. And we must let God be God in our hearts, right? And so that, that's what that verse I- is leading to. And, and so Peter writes that, and that's what, that's what Paul w- was doing. But he, he gives his defense, and as I shared, his defense is his testimony. There is power in personal testimony. I want to encourage you, do not be afraid to talk to people about what God has done for you about the way that he has worked in your lives. People who know you, if they knew you before you came to Christ especially, if they knew you before and they know you now, they know that something is different. If they didn't know you, maybe you can talk a little bit about what you were. But I do want to take note that Paul here, in this defense that he gives and sharing his testimony, he gives a little bit about what he was before he met Christ, speaks in greater length about what Jesus has done for him. Sometimes we can glorify what we were before rather than glorifying God for what he's done and who he is. We want to be careful about that. But it is important that the person we're sharing with understand that there has been an incredible change in our lives based on what God has done for us. But it it serves as an illustration of his love and his power, of his transforming power in our lives and an illustration of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one, really, especially if they know you, no one can argue about you with you about your experience. Especially if they weren't there. You know, I mean, this is my story. This is what God has done for me. They can't argue with that. What, I mean, they might ask you, what do you mean? Things of that nature. And, and, and we can explain it to them. But they can't say, no, that didn't happen. And that is the importance of following hard after God. Because when we do follow hard after God, if we have difficulty letting go of our fleshly nature, if we get that difficulty letting go of our sin, then, you know, maybe the change hasn't been so dynamic that it's noticed by other people, right? But when there's a change, this is something that is absolutely true, but no one can argue with that. I I love the events that we see in John chapter 9 in regard to this. Uh, John chapter 9, verses beginning in verse 19. Actually, it begins before this, but this is, I mean, we, we could... We could deal with the entire chapter of John chapter 9, actually. 
That's where it begins in verse 1. But we're going to just share a couple of passages from this. This is a story about the man who was born blind that Jesus heals. And that if he healed him on a Sabbath day, which was always a no-no, according to the Jewish leaders, of course. And this is a part of the problem. But, but this man is being called to, uh, to account for what has taken place with him. And so they didn't believe him. I mean, there were people around him who saw what was taking place. They brought the leaders to, to see what was going on. They didn't believe his story. They called for his parents. That's where we pick up in verse 19 of John chapter 9. And so they asked them, the parents, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So under that threat, they said, we don't know, ask him. He'll tell you. And that intimates that they already knew what had taken place. It doesn't say they didn't, they, it, that they said they didn't know because they didn't know, so they didn't, they didn't say it because out, out, out of fear of being put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner now. They had their own terms in regard to what they believed was giving God the glory because they had their own understanding of what they believed to be true in regard to who Jesus was. And so they wanted him to agree with them. Give God the glory. And he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They couldn't, ar they couldn't argue with that. They wanted to. They wanted to confirm with his parents now that they said, this is our son. He was born blind. Yeah, he sees now. But we don't know how. Ask him. He'll tell you. Well, he already had, and they didn't want to believe it. Now they kind of had to believe it. And this man says, you know, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. And that's, and, and that's the power of personal testimony. One thing I know, I was hopeless. One thing I know, there, it, it's not an uncommon story that, that even, even suicide is being contemplated by someone when God intervenes into their lives. But now I have hope. I haven't had that thought in, 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 in months, even years. You know, I mean, those kinds of things. This is how I was, but this is how I am now. I couldn't see, now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead spiritually, now I have life. Different things that God has done for us. 
I don't know who he is, this guy was saying. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. And he could have even added, you know what? I don't even care, really, to be honest with you. One thing I know is he healed me. And he had told them he, the details. He put clay on my eyes. He, sp- he spit into the dirt, put the clay in my eyes, told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I was led there. I washed it off, and then I could see. That's what happened. And he could tell them what happened. They didn't want to believe that. Well, Jesus heard that he had been uh, um, basically kicked out uh, of their presence when, he, when this blind man wouldn't, wouldn't agree and cooperate with the, uh, the, the, the story of these Pharisees and the leaders of the Jews. Well, Jesus went looking for him. And we see in John 9, 35 to 38, these words. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, see the word found connotes that he indeed had been looking for him. He wanted to follow up with them. He wanted to make sure that he talked to him some more. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. It's a beautiful story. It's a fascinating story. As God does this work in this blind man, heals him, and then through the various factions with the leaders of the Jews, friends of this guy who knew him, yeah, he was blind, the parents, and, and, and then Jesus ministering to him, and, he, and he, he, he was healed. This is a fascinating chapter. The Lord healed him. The Lord, the Lord brought faith to him, and this man began to worship as a result. And, and guys, that's always a result of God's work in our lives. We are brought to a place of worship. Worship is indeed the very reason that we were created. That's the purpose for us. Every human being is made purposed by God to worship his or her creator. And if we fail to come into line with that purpose and we attempt to find purpose in life some other way than worshiping God, we will always be frustrated with our lives because the fulfillment will not come. There's been a lot of talk about Deion Sanders lately. Have you heard anything about him lately? I mean, him going to the the, the University of Colorado, becoming the head coach, and turning the team around. I mean, it's not just a football story. It's been a cultural event in, in the last uh, uh, last couple of months, you know. And so they, they got killed by Oregon yesterday, um, finally played a real football team. <laughs> but the reason I even bring him up, because uh, I'm not sure how many of you are aware, he is a believer, he's a follower of Christ, a- and he is outspoken in regard to that. He does tell the story um, of how when he was playing for the Dallas Cowboys, as a football player, I mean, his goal was to win the Super Bowl. And when his team won the Super Bowl, he was left with this, really? 
Is this all this is? It didn't give him the fulfillment and the jubilation that he believed that it would. There was still emptiness left in him. After he had accomplished the greatest goal that any football player can have. To be at the very top Super Bowl champion. He was left unfulfilled. And if I remember the story correctly, it was the, the very night of winning the Super Bowl, he drove off the road and attempted to kill himself. Obviously, the Lord protected him, but he came to Christ. He is an outspoken follower of Jesus. Now, some have a sense of, you know what, he's so, you know, I mean, the way that he is, you know, prime time and all that, kind of boastful, you know, that, that's a part of his game, part of the, 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 the aspect of uh, uh, being a, an entertainer. But I like him in the sense of he'll speak about Jesus. He'll speak for him. I am curious about how he's going to be responding to what happened yesterday. I haven't had a chance to read up on that. I will. But point being, he and you and me, all of us, we were created to worship God. And until we come to that place, our lives will be unfulfilled. So, Paul, we haven't even got into his testimony yet. We've got to get moving here, huh? <laughs> Paul gives his testimony to this Jewish mob who moments before attempted to kill him because they believed that he had defiled the temple, right? I mean, that, that's what we find here. And so, as we move there, one thing to, to, to take note of is that You'll remember that way back in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, that's when we see Luke's account of this story that he now, for the first time in the book of Acts, repeats himself. So he is sharing from his own perspective what took place in Acts chapter 9 as the writer of Acts, Luke, gives his historical account of that particular, of this particular event. And, and so... In chapter 22, we, we see the beginning of this testimony. Verse 1, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus. Now he begins to speak about who he was before Christ. Speaks about where he was born, uh, uh, the, the, the strictness, of the of the uh, Jewish faith being taught by Gamaliel, uh, zealous toward God, zealous for the law, just as you are today. You know, it, he, he's wanting to relate to them, and in their zeal for the law, as they read it, they believed that the temple had been defiled, as they understood it, and they could not handle that, wanted this man executed. Bottom line. Not unlike Paul who wanted others executed, even Stephen the first martyr in the seventh chapter of Acts, because of his zeal for God and for the law, right? So, so he's saying, I, I, I was just like you guys. I understand. I was just like you guys. And, and so 
So, so he, he speaks about this. Now, as he writes about, or as he speaks about his conversion and what had taken place where he was before, again, verse 4, I persecuted this way, this way that I now am following, as they understood, and of course he was, to the death, binding, delivering into prisons, and then he mentions that even the, the Jewish leaders, the high priests, the, the, the uh, 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 elders, they can testify to the fact that they sent me to Damascus with letters to do this. And so it, it, it is fact. And then he speaks about what happened beginning in verse 6. Speaks about his encounter with Jesus. I think it's a very important part of all of our testimony, speaking about when we really first encountered the Lord himself. And he does this in verses 6 to 11. Speaks about being on the road to Damascus, of course. He says at about noon, in, in other accounts in, in chapter 9, and then chapter 26, we see Paul gives another first-hand account of, his, of, of this story, his testimony, uh, before King Agrippa there in Acts chapter 26. But here he says about noon. Those other uh, accounts, it's like midday. So it, it, it follows along. A great light from heaven shone around me. I fell to the ground, verse 7, and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? These verses from verse 6 through uh, um, verse uh, 11, very consistent with what we see in the ninth chapter. You know, um, him falling to the ground, Jesus speaking to him. Uh, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. A and he speaks in verse 9 here. The light was, was, was so great that, that or, th or those who were with me, he says, they saw the light, were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Now, these verses, again, are, are basically exactly the same as what we found in, in chapter 9, except there is one exception here. Uh, the, the light and everything, yes. But in ch chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. The men who journeyed with, with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Now, Luke records in his account that the people around him, around Paul, heard the voice. Here, Paul says they didn't hear the voice. And basically, the word that is translated as voice speaks about hearing with understanding. Hearing with understanding. There was something heard, but they didn't hear with understanding. And, and that, that's exactly what took place both in the NASB and the ESV translations. We s uh, here in chapter 22, it says they did not understand the voice. That's how those translations are, are, uh, would, would read. They, that's how they do read. But it brings to mind something that took place in the Gospel of John in the 12th chapter. In verses 28 to 30, Jesus said to the Father as he's praying, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said, 
that it had thundered. They had heard something. He identified it as thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. So these men around Paul heard the voice, but they didn't necessarily even recognize that it was a voice. Certainly didn't understand the words that were spoken by this voice. So that, that, that's how we're to understand that difference that we see in those two passages. And, you know, just looking at then what, what appears to be a contradiction really isn't, as we understand what that word actually means. And so he speaks about this event. Then in verse 12, as he had been led into Damascus, so obviously the people who were with him, these men that were with him, even as he had been knocked to the ground, as he heard the voice, the, the light, the glory of the Lord Jesus were so bright before him that it blinded him. He could not see. That same light did not blind the other men. We're not given an account of why that happened. Perhaps the moment it took place, they looked away, but because this voice from the light was calling Paul's name, maybe he just went ahead and looked into it. That's why we don't know. I think that could have very well happened. But they were not blind. He was. They led him into Damascus, right? Then verse 12, a certain Ananias. Now note how he's described. Paul does not speak to him as a believer in Christ. He speaks to, of him as a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there. This is called knowing your audience. Right? He wanted to relate to them. He wanted to give them from his perspective. And Ananias, as a Jewish man, a good Jewish man, a good testimony to all the Jews there, that he's the one who came. Now, verse 13, he came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked, at, I looked up at him, a way of saying, I received my sight. I was able to see him. And then he said, now this we see in verses 14 and forward, um, the words of Ananias, as Ananias had received from the Lord what, he what the Lord wanted him to tell him, which basically was the call on his life. Paul received his call from God through one of his servants, Ananias, in this, in this uh, event that took place back in uh, Acts chapter 9. Verse 14, then he said, Ananias, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. So you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So those were the words of Ananias, called to the Gentiles, and yet again here he doesn't specify the, the Gentiles to all men, that he would see the just one. That's a term referring to the Messiah, which he had seen him. And so he, he speaks in these ways, Paul, to these Jewish men from a Jewish perspective in regard to the call that God had placed upon his life. And, and even as he would later say to King Agrippa in chapter 26, he said to him, I was not disobedient 
to the heavenly vision. And so he followed what Ananias had said. Now in the following verses, in verse 17, um, yeah, 17 to 21. Now it happened. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. Now we don't see these words or, or this event in Acts chapter 9. But Paul says that when he returned, that later in chapter 9 of Acts, we see he does go back to Jerusalem, but there's another time. I mean, he's, he spends three years in Arabia studying the word of God. He comes back to Jerusalem. We're not sure if it was, it was before he went to Arabia, but after. But one of those times when he was in Jerusalem, this took place. When I, was, when I went back to Jerusalem, he says, he was praying in the temple and in a trance. He, he was praying with such focus on the Lord that, that the Lord's spirit came upon him. Now, now, um, we see Paul also writes about being in prayer and, and having a vision when he's transported up to the third heaven. Same kind of thing. And this word that is translated as trance is the same word uh, that we uh, have in the English, ecstasy. It's the same Greek word. So, so he was ecstatic as he was, he was having this vision of the Lord Jesus. And, and we see here what he says. He says that I saw him in this trance. I saw him. Now, let, let's pause for a moment. If you, in, in your prayer, you're in your prayer closet, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever it is, and you are praying, you know, um, quite emphatically, you are praying and one of those moments when your prayers are real. You know, sometimes we can pray and we're just kind of repeating words. Often that ha- takes place when we're in a hurry. You know, got to get this done, so we do it. And we didn't really pray. You know, um, I've read from a number of people, uh, A.W. Tozer being one of them, who says that we need to pray and keep on praying until we really are praying. And those of us who, who will do that understand exactly what that means. Sometimes it, we, don't, we don't sense the Lord's presence, but there are times when we know that he's there. He's with us. He's hearing this prayer. And so one of the things that our culture does to us, against us, is that we fills our lives with so many things in our lives. We get so busy that we don't have the time to take to really pray. To really be with God. To really be still in his presence and let him be God. But perhaps there's times where many of you, if not all of you, have had a moment like this. But he was in this place, in this place of ecstasy. He knew that God's presence was there. He had been praying and, and it was very real, a very real encounter with the Lord. And being in that place, we see in verse 18, he saw him, so he has this vision of him. He saw Jesus saying to him, I saw Jesus 
All right, I saw him, he says, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem. That's another way of saying, let's get out of Dodge, right? Get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So this was long before this particular event. Probably a couple of decades before this, when he is there in Jerusalem giving them his testimony. He tells of how a couple of decades earlier, Jesus came to him and said, get out of Jerusalem. These people will not receive your testimony. They, they won't receive what you are saying concerning me. At that time, Paul had a response. So he says in verse 19, so I said, Lord, I, I, I said, Lord, they, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And they know when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by consenting to his death, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Let me ask you guys a question. Any of you ever argue with God? You don't need to raise your hand. I see a few heads shaking. Others, not your heads aren't shaking. But I know every one of us have. Because we hear things from him that we don't like. Or that we disagree with. Things that we don't want to hear. And, and so we'll counter that by basically arguing with him, sometimes telling him what he should do rather than this thing that he's telling us to do, right? I mean, that, 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 that's what we as people do until we learn to stop. And perhaps some of you have learned to stop doing that. I confess I'm still learning. Fifty years later, I'm still learning. So... Um, but Paul, here, talking about early in his walk with the Lord, he's arguing with the Lord. He said, oh, wait a minute, Lord. These people have some sense. They know who I was. They know what I did. They know how I had been treating those who were following you, even approving of the execution, the stoning of one of those who was following after you. They know that. They know how uh, into Judaism I was, how, how I had this zeal for the law. They understand that. And certainly they know that something in, in, incredibly compelling must have happened to me in order to change me, and I want to tell them about that. Jesus said, depart. That's how, that's how the Lord ended the argument. He said, go. Go, I'm sending you far away to the Gentiles. Now, next week we're going to see the response of this Jewish mob to that. Some of you have already read ahead. Some of you can already figure what, what that might be. We're going to see that next week. But, you know, um, I hope that we soon do learn to just stop arguing with God. I've shared with you that, I, you know, over this, this last 
couple years we're going through this sickness with my wife and seeing her go home to the Lord and all that and some of the arguments that I gave, some things that I didn't understand and, and, and all and how I shared that with him. And, you know, I, I, I've, uh, uh, even going back to seven years ago when, when my daughter, you know, who had been backsliding came back to the Lord and she got married to this new ager that God had changed her, changed his heart and, and, and all these things. And it's like, you know, the Lord does things to change us. And, and I am learning to just be quiet and just listen to him. Let him do things his way because, well, I have found out he's a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> he knows a lot of things that I don't know. And as Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tell us, his thoughts and his ways are high above ours. As high as the heavens above the earth, so high are his thoughts, so, so much higher are his thoughts and his ways than man's. So if we, if we accept that, then we also accept that there are things that are going to happen that we simply don't understand. And because he's God, we're okay with it, right? Maybe not right away, but we become okay with it. I think we have to be okay with it. You know, and you know, when people ask me how I'm doing, you know, it's been a little over three months now since my bride has gone to be with the Lord. And when people ask how I'm doing, it's like, well, I'm doing okay. I get it. Doesn't mean I don't hurt. Doesn't mean I don't cry sometimes. I still do from time to time. I'll see a picture and I'll cry. But, you know, I, I shared with you the other day that, you know, I, I'm getting to a place where as I look at pictures, I'm smiling more than I was a couple months ago. Fewer tears, more smiling. But I, I don't imagine it will ever end in terms of the pain. But, you know, I get it. Ag again, as I've shared, when I consider that she's in the very presence of God right now, it's like, you know what? And she, and she has the fullness of joy because of being in his presence. It's like, you know, how can I be upset about that? I'm okay. I'm okay. Accepting God's will. And honestly, guys, I think that is one of the biggest hindrances for us walking with the Lord is not accepting his will. When he brings his will that we don't like, we don't agree with, fill in the blank. Right? Well, here we see Paul making this argument and saying, surely, I mean, he, he loved the Jewish people. He loved the Jewish people. You know, he, he had written of his love for them, for, for his, uh, that in, in Romans chapter 10, I, I skipped this verse back a little bit ways, I wanted to share this, uh, Romans 10, 1 to 2, now, now the girls in the booth are saying, okay, hold it, hold it, because I want to flash it up on the screen for you. Um, Romans 10, verses 1 and 2, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear with them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Paul also wrote that he would give his own salvation, his own spiritual life for the Jewish people. That's how much he loved them. So this all plays a part in what we're talking about now. He loved them. He wanted them to come to Christ. But, but Jesus just simply tells them, some of them simply will not believe. They won't receive your testimony. Some of them won't believe. He had some difficulty with that. 
He argued with the Lord. And that's why it is, though, some people just simply will not because they don't want to believe. Now, maybe three years from now, they'll be more open to it. But right now, they don't. And we need to pray for God's discernment and his wisdom to understand the spirit of the person with whom you're speaking and to whom we're trying to, you know, bring a witness for the Lord. Some just won't. And we have to accept that. I mean, even Jesus with the, with the rich young ruler, remember in the book of Luke, this, this rich young ruler comes and says, Lord, what must I do for salvation? Has anybody ever just walked up to you and said, can you tell me how to get saved? Can you tell me how to get right with God? And Jesus told him. He didn't like it and walked away. And we don't see Jesus chasing after him saying, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe you misunderstood what I said. No, he didn't. He just let him walk away. But I've often thought that later, surely, this guy, when he found out who Jesus is, how he was crucified and rose from the dead, he must surely have begun to turn to him as God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God. But we don't know. Point is, many simply will not believe. At the end of Matthew chapter 23, this is that very very powerful and compelling chapter in which Jesus is speaking his seven woes against the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe unto you, he says, seven different times. And he has a description of that particular woe that he brings. Well, at the end of that, in verse 37 of chapter 23, these are Jesus' words as he cries out for his city the city of God, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This speaks a couple things to us. One, Jesus, in crying these words out, speaks of himself as God prior to coming in the flesh as the baby of Mary, as the child of Mary. How often, how often I wanted to take you under my wings. He's speaking as God to them. And the things that God, were in God's heart, God the Father's heart, in Jesus' heart as well. But then, then at the end, he says, but you were not willing. This tells us that God can speak to people's hearts as he spoke through the prophets to the hearts of the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judea, and they would not listen. They were not willing. They were not willing to allow God to protect them in the way that a hen protects her chick. That's what we see here. Just simply not willing. Let's ask God for discernment, for understanding when that's the case, when we're sharing with somebody. Certainly not giving up praying for them, but knowing, well, now's not the time. And, and we know for many the time never comes. Sadly. Sadly. We know that to be true. But at the same time, we have a hope that that time will come for this person, especially if it's a loved one of ours who 
who's still resisting the words of truth, still resisting the, the, uh, uh, the power of your own testimony. You know, and, and as you live for Christ before them, as you become holy even as he is holy, set apart even as he is set apart, and they watch you in your faithfulness. Sometimes people are just watching because they think you're just going through a phase, going through a fad. But you know what? If we maintain our faith, our walk year after year after year after year, they have to confess something real has happened. And that may cause them to have an openness to hear. That could cause that. So let's just be open. Let's, re- let, 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 let's pray for understanding and, and allow the, the Lord to use us in that way. Again, the Lord ends this argument by saying, depart. In other words, go. You know, when Jesus told him that they will not receive your testimony, you know what that means, right? It means they will not receive your testimony. Pretty simple. <laughs> when God speaks to us, He means what He says. And what He says is right. It's always right. It's always true. And again, one of those things we, we need to learn to understand. But now He says, just go. Go. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. These these, these Jewish men, these people of Israel, they will not receive it. Go, I'm going to send you to a place where they will hear and will be used. And so he went. The, the, the call, Paul's call to the Gentiles was affirmed with those words. And so even as he says these words, God is sending me to the Gentiles, there's a response beginning in verse 22 look at that next week. I pray that we will value, as we look at this, 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 this event and Paul's testimony and him giving it, that we will value the testimony that God has given to us. Now, maybe, not, not as dramatic as Paul. Maybe. I don't know all your stories. But God has done tremendous work in every one of our hearts, in every one of our lives. Let's not be afraid to share it. Amen? Amen. And Father, we pray that you will continue your work, that you will be honored and glorified. Even as we, perhaps even this day, are encouraged. Perhaps there's someone here in this room who recently has, has, has told his or her own story to someone and it was just rejected and, and, and there's a tremendous discouragement. Lord, I pray that you, through your word and by your spirit, are bringing encouragement to that one. But might we all be encouraged to continue to talk about the way that you've loved us, the things that you've done for us, the way that you've changed us. And might we continue to give as we choose to walk with you, as we choose in our love for you to obey you. Lord, as they see the changes, as they see that consistency, Lord, I pray that they'll come to you. And that you'll give us wisdom, you'll give us understanding, you'll give us a, 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 a sense of that, that understanding of, of when to stop speaking, when to start. Those that are not ready, others that are, speak to our hearts, Lord. Give us discernment, give us your love, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.